news quite often doesn't have the, the stamina to just take in and absorb the story over a period of time. And then you have the magic coming out of a human story unfolding. Because it's you know, the people that you talk to for one moment, I mean, like me, here, right now, yeah. I'm getting better acquainted. Yeah. You have parachuted, in, or I have parachuted into uh, your world, or you into mine, yeah. for, for a, a snapshot. Yeah. And um, there are very specific things and movements and feelings going on in my life right now. If we came back in a year... It'd be different, yeah, absolutely. Different. This conversation was recorded a few months ago, and so we didn't yet know what the result of the referendum about the EU was going to be. Although that said, I think all of the remarks around Brexit in this conversation are very pertinent to now and definitely things that we should be thinking about. If you're listening to this the day it was released, Wednesday the 13th, then Come to the Dog Star in Brixton tonight to see Stand Up Tragedy Presents, which is going to be showcasing two of our favourite performers doing their solo shows in the run-up to the Edinburgh Festival. And if you can't make tonight, then come tomorrow on the 14th of July. Again, at the Dog Star in Brixton, two very different performers, so you can come both nights if you're free. The doors open at the Dog Star in Brixton at 7.30, and it's pay what you like or what you can afford. So come along, whether you've got money or you haven't got money, an audience is more important to us than the money, but the money is also good if you can afford to give it to us because we're all struggling artists and all of that stuff. So Stand Up Tragedy presents Wednesday and Thursday this week. Find out more about Stand Up Tragedy at www.standuptragedy.co.uk. I went to my sort of tutor professor and I said, do you have any ideas what you think I should do? And he said to me, well, Tom, I'll be honest with you, you're probably not going to be an academic. But he said, whereas some students will write in, in one of their essays, on June the 22nd, 1941, Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union, you will say... As the blood-red sun rose over the marshes <laughs> and the, the rumble of tank engines. He said, you don't need that for academic writing. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Tom. Hello, Tom. Hi. We're we're in the Royal Festival Hall recording. Kind of, I don't know. We're, we're overlooking some stairs, kind of knee to knee, um, <laughs> so that we're kind of close to the microphone. So it kind of looks quite strange. And we're sort of in the corner on sort of I wouldn't say stolen because we're going to put them back. So borrowed uh, <laughs> chairs that I guess the staff used to sit outside of the auditorium. So there you <laughs> go. That's a full picture of where we are, and that explains any any background sound. Yes. Um, although I think the, the audio will be better than often it is in the Royal Festival because the microphone is close to our mouths because it's <laughs> it on, a, be. on the edge of this yes. kind of banister. We're in a thriving social space. We are. Yes. Uh, and this is the first time we've met, so it's, a, it's an interesting thing to be <laughs> so close to each other physically <laughs> when we've only just really met. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? How do you know me? Right. I, I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I reached out to you through an email, I think, and I don't know exactly what I said to you, but I, I, 
basically wanted to just to get to know you better, I suppose, right. to get better acquainted. Uh, well, you're making podcasts as well, right? That's part of the motivation. I do my best. Yes, I am a fellow podcaster. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so part of it was sort of to, to compare notes yeah. on the, the world of podcasting. Right. But also, I knew that... You, you do this and I thought well maybe I could offer myself a, some sacrificial fodder for you <laughs> yeah well it's very handy um, for me at the moment so I'm, I'm, do, I'm recording a new batch of, of, of conversations I normally have a lot in the bank but I've, uh, I've been busy with other things and I'm sort of like running, running out at this point um, and I'm also very aware that of late my podcast has had a lot of people from the arts uh, on it quite regularly which is great they're people too but I, I the original podcast was set up to talk to people of all kinds and you know if you've been listening to the back catalog you'll have experienced some of that so uh, it's nice to have it a bit varied up um, so you're, you're providing me with some variety for my show too which is great <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, listeners should be aware as well that that's what happens if you reach out to, to me uh, through listening to the Getting Better Acquainted podcast. Like, I think nearly everyone who sent me a long email talking to me about the show in some way, uh, I've got on, um, which is an unusual, uh, unusual approach, I think, in terms of these things. And I, 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 I guess it's an approach that would have to stop if I became internationally like uh, massively successful and like I wouldn't be able to meet every single person who sends me an email nor would that be a good idea like, not, not very many people know about me so the people who do reach out to me are less likely I think to be stalkers so um, sure, well we'll see today. well we'll see I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've been holding the crowds at the day outside right, right. I mean I think also I'm, I'm sure that people have said this to you before I, I know you already yeah yeah in, yeah, yeah. in reasonably intimate detail yeah uh, i'm sure because you you've, you've put yourself out there right and, uh, and i'm not very good at not giving out intimate details <laughs> so it's very hard to listen to an episode that doesn't in some way reveal something about me there is sure a, there is a beauty beauty to your bravery and honesty <laughs> yeah well that's or, very nice <laughs> well yeah you do your best <laughs> i um yes yeah, so i uh, sort of almost felt like i had already met you actually. right in, yeah in, no in, in a way in, in that sort of i mean that's a very cliche well, I feel this way when I talk yeah. to podcasters too, when I've listened to them lots, like yeah. Helen Zoltz, when we were sort of talking before we turned her on the mic about Helen, and she's now a friend of mine, um, I hope. Uh, I think <laughs> she would say that. Um, but, but like, when I first met her, like, it was very much like, oh, and Helen and uh, Ollie together, it was very much like, I know these people really well, they don't know me at all, um, which, which is an interesting experience. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I think perhaps yeah, that, solidarity with your experience <laughs> from the other side. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> the, the the experience of uh, working with and around microphones in, in using them like this is, uh, I think it perhaps gives one an openness, or at least you know you, you would more readily agree to things like this. Whereas, I think you know if you go out vox popping ordinary members of the public, you often yeah. have to overcome a certain reticence. Yeah, sure, to and begin with. Well, I, it's hard on both sides. I've done a bit of vox, pops, pop, vox popping yeah. of people. And, uh, yeah, I feel much more inhibited than on a Getting Better Acquainted conversation. Yeah. Uh, and they definitely are lo- a lot less receptive than people are to doing yes. a lot, Most people say yes. Actually, weirdly, oh, yeah. um, I think often people who work on mic in radio uh, often say no. Um, <laughs> my experience is a lot of the greatest audio producers want to stay behind the microphone. So if you work on mic, like yeah. you, you're sort of doing that a little bit yeah. then you're more prepared to come on mic 
but if you work behind the mics, then you well, know yeah, you maybe it's really maybe, hard. Yeah, maybe you've got a point there. Yeah, if you know what goes into the sausage, you don't want to eat it. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, or you <laughs> just quite. know, or you've maybe you've done interviews as well. Like a lot of people who are behind the mic, uh, but like who are behind, yeah, who produce radio, they've done radio interviews, they just haven't used their audio, and they know how revealing people can get. And yes. often as well, they don't like their own voice, they've heard it, and they yes. don't like it, and they're super judgmental of other people, maybe, <laughs> I, I assume, and so they, yeah. they, they, they judge themselves harshly. I don't like my a, voice. Well, that's um, the interesting thing, actually. You often, often hear that when people talk about being on on radio on mic from, from people to the first time member of the public to, to celebrities who've done it their whole life I've never I've just easy for me to say I've never quite understood it I mean A I think it's one thing is often when you hear yourself when I hear people say that they listen to recordings from quite a long time before and usually when people get older their voice is lower in pitch as their vocal cords loosen a bit and they, uh, they sound a bit maybe a bit more hoarse and a bit more uh, gruff yeah. I suppose but then again often I find that gives people more gravitas yeah. and they don't want to hear a sort of more squeaky version of whatever yeah. well yeah I, but, but then again, I mean... I think all voices are nice, though. I mean, there's a lot of, like... Except yours. Well, I, yeah, I, I've come to... I've listened to my voice enough times that sometimes I can forget that it's my voice and I can appreciate it kind of aesthetically. But, but, but often I can't. But that's, that's what it is. It's about your, your, yourself. I mean, I think... Like, it's like vocal fry. Uh, a lot of people hate vocal fry. And I think oh, that, that again, right? it's when people kind of... Yeah, in, as part of the way that, like, it's kind of an American inflection, so you kind yeah. of go up and you also kind of go croaky. I can't really do it. Uh, Ira Glass, interestingly, does it, right? But he's yeah. a man, so he never gets called out on it. Um, oh, I'll whereas, call him out on well, it. I don't like well, it. You shouldn't, it. You shouldn't, Ira, you shouldn't, stop it. You shouldn't call out on it, because it's good. Um, but, 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 like, a lot of women get a lot of grief because they have that kind of uh, way of speaking. And I think it's kind of a way of dismissing a whole group of people often, and certainly a class of people or a, a culture of people sometimes as well. It's kind of like... I would say with that, with the with the the inflection at the end when you talk <laughs> like this, and but also with the uh, yeah vocal fry. Now you've reminded me of this. Can't do it. I yeah. think my objection to it is is not anything to do with the social group. It is the fact that it's a choice because it's a it's, it's a, a meme. They want to sound like that I don't know. because they think that makes them more popular. I don't know if it is a choice. I don't think that's how language works. I think, sure, sometimes we take on some qualities in our voice to sort of put on an appearance to the world, and sometimes we do that. But I think a lot of the time we just uh, end up speaking like the people we hang out with. Uh, and I think that, that, that I don't think that, that's, that vocal fry is... A, is much a choice certainly not for everybody who's doing it you don't really think about what you're doing with your voice you just kind of do it and that's why people don't like hearing their voice back because if they if they they're used to just using their voice and not thinking about how it sounds they hear it back they hear how other people might sound, hear it and then they might they go oh I'm going to be judged for being vocal have, using vocal fry yeah, people maybe. are going to think that's deliberate like uh, I use li- I say like a lot I, I was on a podcast recently the Z-List, Dead List podcast uh, and I liked what uh, Izzy Lawrence who runs that show uh, did with my interview but we were sort of joking around about it afterwards and she was like you say like a lot um, and I, I'm aware of that because I edit myself like yeah. all the time and I know why people don't like people who say like a lot. It's kind of an Americanism. And I get a lot of grief for being American-like in lots of ways, so I've, it's, which has made me have a lot more respect for Americans. <laughs> um, and you. sort of like say, well, why can't they be like that? Why are we judging them that way? Yeah. And I think that's one of those ways. It's like saying like doesn't, doesn't make the value of the words I'm saying I'm any sure. more or less 
valuable. It's just a, a, a tick that I have based on the fact that I watch a lot of American TV. I, I, I reckon. Perhaps. I mean, you might, you might well be onto something there. I hadn't thought of it exactly like that. Actually, you might, yeah, you might, have, you, know, you, might you might be honest with me there. I mean, I, far be it from me to want to stoke argument. Yeah, no, um, or, or do. I mean, I don't mind um, however it comes. I, I don't know. I mean, with, with like or um, I think a lot of these things, and perhaps I am now pretending to be some kind of voice expert, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> well, you're, you're someone who listens to voices, so you're as yeah. expert as any other listener. And that's an Im- a valuable thing to, to well, have. So anyway, what's yeah. your opinion? Um, <laughs> is is that uh, if you're doing like or um, it's one of the it's a filler a sound because you're actually thinking. Yeah. I think there is research that supports. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, thinking. Whereas the the oh my gods, the uh, and, and it's not because of Americanism. There are British versions of these too. I just yeah, can't yeah, remember. There are. There definitely are. But I like them. They give these these are these are things that give character to language. They are things that evolve it on, that change it. Like yeah, actually, yes, yeah, fair point. Yeah. In, in in spoken English, that's where the innovative words are happening. They're not happening often in academia. Like I'm not saying that I don't. Uh, there aren't some really useful modern academic words that I now use that uh, express things that need to be expressed that weren't expressed before. Mm-hmm. But they're not exciting. They're very much just stuff I've stuck together like robots. You know, whereas I have formulated my argument. Go for it. Is that I think often a lot of these particular things are. It is not necessarily what they are. It's perhaps what they represent uh, in the playground. You know, we're, uh, you know, kids are very quick to pick up on on the latest social yep, trends. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of these things will be used by the cool kids to bully the uncool kids. And the uncool kids will be the ones who who are taught by the who are the kids of the local vicar who haven't picked up on these things. And they're they're out they're the out group well, because they might, the cool yeah. kids pick up on the latest MTV phrases or whatever. And, and again, not because it's American, but I think it's it's uh, resonating with that in that often the latest fad will be used to persecute people who are seen as uncool and, and geeks. I can understand where that comes from. I was the uncool kid at school, uh, even though <laughs> I say like. Um, and, and oh my God, and all those sorts of things. And actually, I mean, I get most of my American, a lot of my Americanisms from growing up watching Buffy, which was about uncool kids <laughs> at school, uh, for uncool kids at school. And... Um, and I don't cool think you're exactly Buffy. right. I think that there's a lot of complexity around it. I think a lot of the groups who bullied me were cool in different ways, and there's different kinds of cool, and some of those cool kids might have used kind of the, the kind of expressions you're using. Others would have used different slang. Um, but all, I don't think that the problem with any of those groups were that they were being inventive with language. I think it was that they... You know, I think bullies often have got pain themselves, and then they take that pain out on people who they can sense also have pain. Like, oh, well, when uh, when we're talking about the nature of bullying, yes, yeah, yes, I, I think that's how it is. I, I was a vulnerable kid, and I think the the other vulnerable kids who happen to have muscles uh, or like street cred or uh, cultural power, they sensed my vulnerability and knew that I couldn't uh, didn't have those things and could be pushed mm-hmm. in whatever direction. But I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's a complicated language. Is such a complicated thing, and everyone has different connotations based on their own experience. True. So I, I, I know what you mean. There is an alienating thing about a new kind of language that you're not a part of, mm-hmm. um, as much as there is something interesting and in, like pushing culture in a different direction. But anyway, sorry. Like, the yes. second <laughs> the second question that I ask everybody, and this is good because I mean, I was worried I wouldn't know what to talk to you about because we've only just met, but we're we're, we're not going to have any problem talking, I think. Um, but the second question that I ask everybody is uh, what do you do now? Yes, and I can maybe use this as some kind of segue 
to seamlessly, <laughs> seamlessly bridge over what we were talking about before. Yeah. Uh, I am a journalist. Right. Um, uh, at the moment, I am a television producer, television news producer, uh, based in Russia, in Moscow, uh, although I'm British. And I, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Yeah, that's perhaps the day that's, Perhaps that's, yeah, too much of a shallow description, but I'm sure you can dig away. I suppose it, it does make an interesting point talking about in-group, in-group, out-group languages and jargon right. and things. Is one thing that drives many uh, students of journalism and media absolutely crazy is the jargon that is used by different broadcasters. So just a little interesting side, I hope it's interesting, is, for example, a piece of equipment. Um, there is a microphone that people use that you attach to your lapel. Right, lapel some people, mic. Some people call it lapel mic. Right. Others would say, would, would almost be aggressive to you. Other sound operators and camera people would say, it's not, a, it's not a, 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 a that, it's called a tight-clip mic. Or it's called, uh, is it Lavalier or that, is that different? Maybe it's know. the fact that I get mixed up. I'm definitely not in the in-group on the, on the sound engineering side. The thing is, you'll things. go from working for one broadcaster and go to another, and all the jargon that you thought yeah. you knew is suddenly changed. And that is used, I think, as, as well as, well, maybe it's just you know, ad hoc, is, is uh, you know, used just to find a word for something. I think often it's also used as a way of... Uh, enforcing a hierarchy because you're the intern because you don't know what things are called right. and so you're going to have to pay your way until, until you know that yeah no I think that's, that's I get that as well I mean I, I I definitely get alienated by I mean my initial reaction to any new word is to be a bit alienated by it I try not to be that way anymore I try to let sit with that and realise that that's just a different word and then take, take it on board. And, yeah. and by doing that, I've changed my vocabulary in lots of ways, actually. Um, but that wasn't my init- that's not my initial instinct, so I get how, yeah. how that is. And I definitely understand like, this, this kind of frustration when you work in an area and the language keeps t- changing. And, like, so working in councils is very much like that. You, oh, lose, you, 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 you learn one set of bureaucratic terms and then you move... Uh, like slightly <laughs> different ge- geographic location and then everybody's got different vocabulary oh, really? to use about everything and that changes in lots of ways and I think it's good that things change I also understand why it's frustrating because um, I mean yeah, yeah in general you know if you're, if, you're, if you're chatting it's fine bring on the variety but when, you, when you're in a, in a system in, a, in an organisation and, and the language is there to help you get stuff done it can be very yeah no very I, yeah, absolutely <sighs> I can see where you're coming yeah, from on that yeah. for sure so Anyway, like, yes. When, how did you end up being a, a journalist? Like, when did you decide that you were going to be a journalist? Well, um, I imagine this isn't an overly unique story, but I was finishing university. Uh, I studied war studies uh, at King's College London, not a million miles from where we're sat now. And um, as I got towards the end of my course, which I'd absolutely loved, it was a fascinating uh, course, I <laughs> realised... Uh, I had based my decision to choose that course on something I'd already been very interested in. So I, I hadn't chosen my career uh, setting the ship in a direction. I'd chosen it by looking at the, what do you call it, behind the ship? Uh, the rudder? Uh, the, 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 the sort of the white water behind it. Oh, right, right, right. I'd, I'd seen foam. where I'd, co- foam, yeah, I'd, seen right, where I'd right. come from. The trail And thought, the ship. oh, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just keep doing that because I, I, you know, I, I'll follow it by what I know. Yes. Which worked brilliantly in terms of the course but afterwards I was thinking ah what do we do now right um (laughs) so I went to 
my uh, sort of tutor professor and I said, do you have any ideas what you think I should do? And he said to me, well, I'll be honest with you, you're probably not going to be an academic. If you really want, you know, be my guest. But he said, whereas some students will write in, in one of their essays, um, on June the 22nd, 1941, Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union, which is standard academic phraseology, you will say, as the blood-red sun rose over the marshes <laughs> and the, the rumble of tank engines, he said, you don't need that for academic writing. Just, you know, say that. So you're, you're far, far more creative and sort of uh, dramatic than that. Right. So he said, so if you want my suggestions, uh, one would be perhaps to go into teaching. He said, but to be honest, in most schools, I fear that your eccentricity would be seen as weakness. <laughs> right. And uh, okay. I was like, yeah, well, you could. he says, so, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, unless you're in a very refined educational environment, <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll cope well. But then he said, um, but the other is potentially the media. So potentially, I still have a sort of potential desire to, to move towards uh, documentaries and trying to explain maybe history, military-related, right. to try and explain to people you know, what goes on, what does it mean, things like that. I, I really enjoy that. And he ended, I ended up going into news and, and journalism, which is also uh, of, a, of a similar ilk, yeah. and uh, which I have, I would say, largely found very enjoyable. Yeah, sure. Interesting. And, I mean, what's, so going back even further than that then, when, when did you get into war? Like, well, when, why did you decide yeah. to do war studies? I remember we went to Scarborough, when we were young and uh, we were sat in a fish and chip shop overlooking the you know the, the roiling North Sea and the grey breakers and this and my father uh, a lot of my family enjoy storytelling they love a good yarn and they're probably better than me actually at an actual storytelling I sometimes think I can do it and then I, I try and do it and it falls completely flat but um, my dad told me the story of the Bismarck and, you know, the Bismarck steaming out to the uh, German jackboots marched across Europe and you could, you, know, you could feel the passion of the moment, this giant German battleship coming wow. out to, to, you know, to see all the, these poor sailors sent to their graves and Britain starve and was, you know, submit to uh, the Nazi hordes and, uh, and eventually, you know, this dramatic story of how the, the Navy clashed and were absolutely trounced the first time and eventually the last... Uh, and eventually they lured the Bismarck out from, its, uh, where, from where it was in harbour. And in one titanic clash, they managed to damage it so badly that the German captain decided to scuttle the ship w- rather than be, have it captured. Except for the fact that actually that wasn't the story of the Bismarck. <laughs> he got the wrong story, and that was the ship, that was HMS Graf Spee, right. which was a, a German battleship, right. also in the same war, that they'd sent to South America. Right. But it didn't really matter because right, it right, was right. so dramatic, and, yeah. and also the story of the Bismarck is, is also equally fantastically dramatic, and uh, and that was one of the moments where I felt a real spark. I think uh, the idea of the, the lover of military history and is, is, maybe, is a bit cliche, and there's, there's certainly a geekery in there. It doesn't really bother me, um, <laughs> but um, I also felt a passion in terms of the. Um, 
the pity of war, the emotion of war, which I think a lot of the war scholars didn't feel. Right. And so through the years, I often went to the school library or, uh, and, 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 and read war poetry. And uh, I, st- I still struggle with to read Dolce and Decorum Est without nearly welling up. And, you know... Uh, yeah, it's great. Thing. Yeah, and a appreciation of, um, as I was trying to say, what it means right. to try and express the lived experience of war at the battlefront and at home to, to a generation now, which lives 70 years after the end of the Second World War, and I feel is in genuine danger of starting to forget the horror of it all. And we all know where that leads. It starts to lead to nationalism, to jingoism, right. to the idea that you see war as a game. And well, it's already led there. I mean, I would say. I mean, I don't think. I, I mean, I, I mean, it's already it's easy on those pa- that pathway. I would say this country is I, drifting absolutely. I would, in my opinion, I'm not putting this onto you, no, no, no. but my opinion is that this country is drifting very, very close to fascism in lots of ways. Uh, but also that they are treating the war, real wars that are happening now as a game. Like, in, in a lot of the media talks about the wars that we have, you know, in different countries, there's not this kind of immediacy of real people dying. It's not spoken about like that. I, um, I mean, I, I have to say, yeah, I think, yeah, in general, you might be onto something. I, I actually, I don't agree in this specific So that's all right, you're, you know, um, because I, boring I, if I, we all thought the same thing. <laughs> I think Britain's doing actually rather well on that front, actually. I think they're doing quite well in reminding people of uh, how how dangerous warfare is actually. I think there's a lot of healthy and very articulate voices warning away. I, I say that from uh, where I've been a reporter in Russia. Right, for hearing. I come back to Britain and I, I, I speak from a... a, a I left, I went to be a journalist there, uh, and I have since had the chance to look back on my own country from outside, which is always a, a, a strange and fascinating That's thing. Interesting, and, yeah. um, I actually have come to the conclusion that while there are genuine problems in Britain, that overall, I think this country, through its institutions, through the, uh, the overall political system, is very well governed, is a, is, is a healthy liberal democracy and uh, is, has a potentially, if we excuse some, some... Obviously, the politicking is usually what can ruin everything. Someone, you know, making a personal political gamble to succeed within the system without realising the, un, the um, unforeseen consequences of, of their actions, you know. So we, we're thinking of Mr Cameron's gamble with Brexit uh, without getting too deep into the, what we think about that, uh, the risk that that could have huge un, unforeseen or even foreseen unintended yeah. consequences yeah. Um, that were not in the original bargain. I mean, I, I still think we are very much further down that path than you're... Uh, than you think and I think that might be because I've lived here and so I, I, I actually see the, the reality of, of, of the government policies that have in many ways you know, been 
causing lots of disabled people to die. That have, we've got determinant camps for refugees. We're, we're treating uh, lots of human beings without, uh, as if they haven't got human rights uh, all over the place. The, the right is is rising in lots of ways. Certainly, Islamophobia is focused in a different way. Even I, you know, I remember 9/11. I remember the kind of Islamophobia that happened after that. And I don't think I think this country has even more. Hatred and suspicion of Muslims than it did then. Um, now, I mean, part of this is living in London, so there's a lot more different groups who kind of uh, clash or don't clash. So it can it can feel like a metropolitan bubble. Uh, and I'm I've lived other places in the country, and I know that there isn't as much harmony there as there is here between different groups. But at the same time, even here, you can see that stuff happening. Um, probably particularly here for Muslims because of the fact that it's the capital city and so everybody's assuming that they're terrorists. Um, but at the same time, no, I mean, I take on board that it's, we're not in the same position as some other countries, etc., etc. But I, I, I think it's very... Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to criticise other countries, but I also I feel like often people don't criticise this country enough. Like, a lot of the time mm-hmm. we kind of let us off because we're, like, two steps down a path rather than five. That doesn't make us not on the same path, I think. And it's like, things can happen incredibly quickly. You've said the Brexit, that could change things one way or another um, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Like, France has changed very, very quickly for obvious reasons over the last, like, five years. Um, and all of these kind of... It's, it's, we're ex-colonial countries and, you know, that has some complicated effects. Like, the, the crimes of colonialism and other kinds of, uh, kind of imperialism, they come back, you know, three generations later and then hurt, hurt you. Uh, not that, you know, in some ways you could say justifiably so, but unfortunately, during that painful process, people on all sides will be hurt. That's always the way when conflict happens. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. You're saying we need to remember that conflict isn't the way forward. And I totally, totally support that that view. Yeah. But, I mean, I think I have a slightly different kind of perspective on Yeah, on I, I suppose, yeah. I was, I guess, I, I've, I've heard you previously yeah, you'll have heard a lot this, riffing yeah. on this subject. And <laughs> I mean, I, I would probably... I mean, I think... We, it's not a great leap to say uh, that our political views on subjects may, may differ. No, no, no. And I, 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 um, I welcome all political yes, strains on this right. show. Well, yeah. You're very open-minded, open-hearted. And I hope I, I'm also um, yeah. to, the, well, to your standards Well, everyone's a human well. being, right? And I want exactly. to understand and connect yeah. with people. And I yeah. think, you know, I've had, uh, you know, I've had plenty of right-wing or centrist or traditional left or whatever yeah. views I don't really agree with on the show and yeah. you know often we don't talk about politics and people don't even <laughs> know know that those differences exist and, uh, yeah. and sometimes we do perhaps uh, perhaps I've dragged it towards no 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 I like politics. it I, li- I, I like talking about politics <laughs> no I, th- I think we would probably sh- I mean as usual as I find in many of these uh, conversations you end up actually agreeing on far more than it than it seems yeah often that is the case yeah i think that's closer to a position i think i sometimes just come back and i hear it's it's healthy that there are powerful and passionate internal debates in britain uh, about these things and i would i just seek to remind people i do think people are allowed to comment perhaps you know there's a there's a line over which you know i'm not comfortable criticizing other let's say other peoples or other countries I am happy criticising other governments yeah yeah me because um, I think that yeah <laughs> uh, and I, I would maybe just to seek to remind Britons I think sometimes people in Britain can get a bit absorbed in, in their own uh, political world country the issues of the country 
get the words out, Tom. <laughs> um, but I, I think sometimes you have to step back a bit and see that, um, I mean, for, for example, free speech. Yeah. I think Britain's record on free speech is very good in, in, in overall. <laughs> I can see you like to come in on that. No, but, I, I think I'll let that lie. <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with everything you say. In, Listeners will understand that I would not always agree with yes, what you're saying at yes, this point. Yes, so I, I think we can go ahead without, <laughs> without fear for my own uh, reputation. Uh, in, uh, in comparison to many countries in the world, and I think it's important to be reminded of that, to be uh, perhaps in the passion of the debate, the passion to win the debate... It is important to, and you probably remember this, who made this quote, I don't, to say that although I may disagree with your view, I will defend absolutely your right to yeah. say that. And that, in, in, I mean, my experience is mostly in Russia, that is not a right you get. If you don't say what the majority agrees with, you, you're putting your job, sometimes even your life, in danger. Well, that is the case a little bit in this country. I mean, I know what you're saying in terms of uh, there are worse places. There are, in, there are many, many worse places, although it depends on who you are. I mean, like with prevent policy happening within schools and and uh, universities, we're in a very real sen- sense uh, censoring speech and uh, thoughts rather than action. And I'm I'm I am actually a free speech absolutist. Although these days people keep throwing that that phrase around who I don't agree with, and so now I'm sort of like. Uh, I, I, I know I'm being tarnished with their, their misuse of that phrase, but I, I think people should absolutely have the right to say uh, whatever they, ha- they, they, they have to say without any state yeah. intervening. Interve- inter- interference in any way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I can fundamentally agree with you on that. <laughs> where I disagree with you is that I think the country has always had some questionable areas where we've pushed back free speech in those kind of ways I know that the you know and 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 I, we continue to have these areas yes not as bad maybe as other places but I think again it's a slippery slope and I think that at the moment everyone's pointing their fingers at, at, at people who are asking for content notes and trigger warnings and safe spaces and saying they're a danger to free speech whilst there's actually proper dangers to free speech I mean this is in this week uh, there's uh, the government are almost have almost passed a bill that will not allow scientists to comment on political Political uh, issues that the, uh, in terms of the government, they won't be able to pass criticism on the government. That isn't too far from some of the countries that we're talking about. Maybe it won't get passed. People are moving against it. Maybe it is a, a mix-up. Maybe it's an accident rather than uh, a deliberate attempt to quell spe- speech. But unfortunately, accidents often result in yeah. in like, kind of like what you were saying about the Brexit. Like there's lots of well-meaning people can do mm-hmm. uh, bad things in terms of speech, mm-hmm. uh, particularly. Um, when, we're, when they're scared. And this is a scared country at this moment in time. And when people are afraid, that's exactly when the kinds of things that you're talking about happen, yeah. I think. Yeah. But I mean, fair enough. Like, yeah. uh, we don't, I don't want to sort of like, uh, reduce this, like reduce you down to a, dis- a discussion about uh, no, speech. Yes, yeah, fair point. So, so yeah. So, yeah. so you got into war through that story, through that, that story that your father t- told you. <laughs> that's one of the, perhaps one of the moments. Right. Obviously, one of the, it's one of the germs of it. And of course, and, yeah. and, and every time uh, someone tries to make a narrative out of another person's life, or their own life, and I do that a lot. Um, we, when we do that, we're, we're, we're reducing it and simplifying it in loads of ways. But, uh, so yes, yeah, yeah. so you've got into, into storytelling uh, in a way and into war and the adventure of it, but you also didn't lose sight of the human within that. I sincerely hope not. No. Yeah, I, um, 
Yeah, I, I, I felt a, a great affinity. Perhaps it was the drama of the moment. Perhaps, as I sometimes say, I was one of those boyish uh, fads that you, I, I just didn't grow out of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's I funny, so and, and it's funny and true that when we say war, like people being into war, it is often seen as a boyish pursuit, and it is often boys who are interested in it. But it's an, an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, for, for little children to be excited by things that are really about mass death, because they don't get that. No, just exactly. The they don't the get it yet. The, yeah, they, right. I mean, they, and so I think, um, you know, giving children toy guns to play with. I, I mean, there are issues there. There are there are issues there. But I I can't see a massive problem with it if because it's just something that goes. Thing is, whatever, you, you, know, can take, you can take the, you can take the guns away. You have to take away the culture that lionises war because exactly. kids make exactly. guns out of sticks. They make guns out of loads of things. Plus, you know. A water pistol, even though it's gun-shaped, um, is a very different thing, I think. Yes. It doesn't hurt people. Like fact, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I've enjoyed water pistols in my time, <laughs> even as someone who's been anti-war, even since I was a kid. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not pro-war. No, no, no. no, 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 no. I mean, but that's yeah. it. I, I don't, I'm not uninterested in war. I'm at, I, yeah. I don't think that be you know... Nor, like, I, 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 I've, <laughs> I've definitely been interested in, like, not military as such growing up, but I think I was interested in fantasy books, and there's an element of fantasy oh, books yeah. which are about military campaigns and, and yeah. interesting ideas of how to kill people yeah. happen a lot in fantasy books. Uh, and I listen to, you know, nowadays I listen occasionally to Hardcore History with Dan Carlin, which is a lot about military yeah. warfare, and, and that's been fascinating yeah. to me. I mean, so you studied... War. Yeah, I studied the phenomenon of war, and um, I mean, sort of, yeah. To build on this, this, this theme, I um, one of the books that really sort of uh, crystallised that sort of that sort of fe- feeling that I was sort of groping around for was a, a book by John Keegan, who's a famous writer on uh, on these topics. But he'd written a book called <laughs> I forgot what it's called. Uh, but it was basically about the experience of war. I don't think it was called that. But it was. Um, it, he took four battles throughout history. I, I can't remember them all, but I know that one of them was Agincourt. One of them was Waterloo. I think there was one set in the trenches. I think a lot, a lot of them were British, because that was his yeah, area yeah, of expertise. Yeah. But he, he looked at them in a totally new way. At the time, I think it was 1977, he wrote this book. Um, nothing, I don't pretty much, anything like this book had ever been written before. He looked at a lot of the sources, original often first-hand sources, diaries and accounts of the battles. And, uh, and he looked at it from... He essentially tried to put you in the eyes and the place of this soldier. And so he would say things like this. If you were a French cavalryman charging the British lines at Waterloo, this is what you would experience accurately, not Hollywood, but accurately from what we know from the sources. And it's absolutely fascinating. You know, you, you sort of think, right, you, you start at a, at a trot, you get to sort of 300 yards, the first musket volleys start to hit you. But it's OK at the moment. If one hits you in the face, you're going to know about it. But it still won't kill you. It'll ping off your breastplate and you'll hear it. So you'll hear all throughout like a sort of heavy hail across the, the line of charging horses as it hits the breastplate. And then you'll get to 200 yards and the first horses will start to fall as the musket balls start to hit harder. And then you get to 100 yards and more and more of your uh, comrades will start falling. But this, by this point you have your, you know, your, your sabre drawn and you're at full gallop now. And there's nothing you could do to stop yourself anyway now. Um, and then, then you get to the point where 
horses reaching a line of men or, or women, a line of soldiers, yeah. with bayonets drawn, uh, basically a solid human wall. The evidence in nearly every Hollywood film is that they just go charging into them, yeah. thundering through yeah, them. Yeah. It's not true. Right. In reality, horses hate going up against uh, a solid object. You can train them to jump over hedges and, and gates and things, but that takes training. And if the thing is alive and moving and has a flashing yeah. silver knife on the end of the thing, right. they, they will shy away. The horse isn't and so the yeah, and so the cavalry will either go round or the horses will rear up, and you've almost got these chivalric kind of they think, they think in the chivalric terms that they that with the sheer force of their warrior virtue they can make the horses charge in and, and a few examples they do for some reason yeah well, most prob- probably because they're hurting the horses to make them go fat like you know to do it like, yeah that's the thing. i'm not even sure the horses probably feel much pain because they're so pumped on adrenaline the terror right, 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 is just right. so blinding they just um i mean the the, the poor horses i mean they yeah, they're yeah. just they don't have a clue what's going on um and uh so you, you can see from that description i mean and obviously he takes a bit longer he 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 brings in um psychology and behavioral psychology and the developments in that in, in that for example there's a, a critical distance with animals for example with a lion and another lion for example they can be fine but once they get to a certain point that it starts to trigger not necessarily fight or flight i think it's a, maybe fight or retreat you know right. they they um th- but beyond a certain point there has to start coming the decision in a potentially aggressive scenario of am i going to square up to this threat now or am i going to back off and that is uh, something that happens in, in warfare too and as you force these forces closer together you are, you are boiling up this tension of one side will perhaps go crazy and charge or will will run away and um, so you're playing with some very primal forces there, which is something I'd never read about before, and it, it was sort of really struck a chord about why things happen in battles, that before the explanations were, you know, a bit... They were braver, there was more right. willpower. They were, and, it, and you suddenly realise that those weren't really satisfactory no. uh, explanations. No, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and it is, it's yeah. interesting as well. You, you, you're absolutely right that those kinds of uh, ideas, those are the kinds of things that, that the boys or children have. Is that you know, it's about bravery, it's about you know, good versus evil, all of yeah. these simple ideas. Yeah. Um, whereas in reality, it's about you know, luck as much as that, that's probably the, the guiding force of everybody's uh, life is luck yeah. um, or, and, and, and also all of these other factors that you're talking about too um, so you make a podcast now at the moment right you're making yeah. I've, I only, I sort of, I've only heard its name from you before we started yeah. uh, talking uh, so I haven't listened to it yet but I'm e- eager to listen to it and I will do <laughs> but, but that podcast is about farming yes it's a, uh, another area of my life um, it comes from another wellspring yeah where uh, does farming fit in yeah, this, this, this person sorry I've been rambling on no that's fine I'm a farmer's son from the East Midlands and nearly all of my family are involved with farming or food production or sale in some respect. So that was my experience growing up. I would spend summers working on the farm. So that is deep within me. I didn't end up doing that as a career, but it's always been something that has you know, been part of my fabric. And I've often felt that there, it, the countryside, shall we say, to 
a wild, bright, yeah. broad brushstroke, but a country people, the countryside, uh, agriculture, gardening, uh, everything else, farmers' markets, uh, you know, all of these people, they are underrepresented and misrepresented in public discourse. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, a lot of it's just due to practicalities. The number of journalists in Britain, if you looked at the statistics, I reckon the vast majority would be in London. And it starts to cost a lot more money to drive outside London and to plan a shoot somewhere outside. And there obviously are centres, there's quite a lot in Manchester and other big cities. Yeah. But, but the, you know, you, you have to go, you have to have a specific reason and a budget and whatever to go and, and look at stories in yep. the countryside. And I think a lot of it as a result, a lot of the discussion, public discourse around the countryside, is shallow. Uh, a lot of the country, people in the countryside, are, I feel, used essentially their props to an existing narrative. Yeah. Um, and there obviously are a lot of different narratives uh, about the countryside. And but essentially, the voice of the people themselves just sort of shoehorned in as a, as a sort of prop to that. But like, this person thinks that we, we already know. Look, here's an example of that. Right, move on. And um, so, the ethos behind behind the muck heap. Is essentially the name of the which show. is the name of the of the, the, show, the Mark yeah. Heap, everyone. The, the Mark Heap, yeah. <laughs> uh, is a sort of a, a very reverent, um, hopefully humorous look at not stuff that's in the spotlight, not big headline issues, the uh, the daily, weekly, seasonal life of of country people, and in uh, letting them speak. And giving them a bit of a voice. There, there are some stuff that's that's more sort of well-known themes. There are there is stuff that's more uh, analytical and, and, and serious in there. But largely, uh, it's basically how was the week down on the farm? You know, what was the weather like? What were you doing? Because I think that a lot of the failings of uh, modern media coverage are that they don't stay. They don't cover a story over a period of time, so that you only get a parachuted in short snapshot and then whilst that can serve certain things if something's happened you know usually it's, it's newsworthy say the editors <laughs> you know which can cause me a lot of angst sometimes because yeah. I think that the things that are newsworthy that they don't the, the news quite often doesn't have the, the stamina to just take in and absorb the story over a period of time and then you have the magic coming out of a human story unfolding because it's you know, the people uh, that you talk to for one moment, I mean, like me here right now, yeah. I'm getting better acquainted. Yeah. You have parachuted, in, or I have parachuted into uh, your world, or you into mine, yeah. for, for a, a snapshot. Yeah. And um, there are very specific things and movements and feelings going on in my life right now. If we came back in a year, it'd be different. Yeah, absolutely it'd be different. Uh, and um, so, so obviously, it's difficult. You can't sit your journalist with one person, just follow them around all their life. But, it, but I, I feel that um, we are missing a form of narrative in that that could yeah. be enormously engaging, could be genuinely interested in it, and could reveal, it could reveal partly the very ethos of, of your podcast, it's how we're all different and yeah. how that makes us all the same. Yeah. And I think that, that you know, um, the Greeks, the Greek storytellers, they would always want to know, they would always want to do one thing after they made a story you know, whatever, Antigone or, or Oedipus, and there's another one, I've forgotten it, but 
<laughs> Sorry, any of other ones. The point of those, and a lot of Greek drama was, they would tell a story and then they would want to know what happened before the story and what happened after the story. Right. And the Batman series or whatever, whatever series right, of film right, you want, right. they go back on the timeline or they go forward on the timeline. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the natural human urge. And then what? And then yeah, what? Yeah, and what, yeah, what was that? What was that? What caused that? What caused that? And so uh, I think that's where my... The, the idea of the podcast the Muckheap comes from partly that's a good idea uh, I knows? like it who knows <laughs> I mean I like, well I mean it, it, as you say it fits very well neatly within the kind of ethos of the th- sorts of things that I make so I like that about it yeah. I mean so you, you're talking to what to, to actual people for, like you're, th- you said that you were having them speak so is it their voices or are you mostly theirs right. I mean I, I will sort of you know try and guide the, yeah, the yeah. conversation and it's a, it's a very structured thing I mean you know uh, the beauty of, of, of yours is, is I think that it's quite meandering and you know there are very few it's a sandbox mode or yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas you know I, I try to sort of structure it yeah, in yeah. terms of right what's been going on there's a, there's a time there's, a, there's just almost an agenda to get through you know what's the, been going on on the farm what's the weather uh, let's do a weekly explanation of one thing in farming that nobody understands and you know etc etc um, and I mostly do it with my, my brother who is a farmer and my cousin who is a gardener so oh, it's largely great. family based at the moment because I think that that's a bit easier for me especially doing it from Moscow right I so do you record like through Skype or whatever yeah, yeah. oh wow so, okay. yeah. Um, but I also talk to um, for example uh, an agronomist uh, who is like a crop advisor scientist in Ukraine and he's fascinating about talking about crop conditions there talk to another of my cousins who is a land agent about the experience of being a land agent and so on and so forth right you know so and was the kind of farming that you did when you were growing up was that was that uh about crops or was that about livestock um mostly about crops when i was growing up um potatoes wheat and barley and things like that uh we had we did have livestock when i was very young and we have now got it again we've 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 gone back into uh sheep and uh, a few cattle yeah um yeah but i not not really there but yeah they they are doing that yeah no yeah. i mean i so I, I grew up a little bit of the time of my childhood in uh, a small village in north wales and so i, uh, I kind of have a little bit of a, a, a knowledge of the of the countryside at least i used to i mean i used to go to my friend's farm for to play do you know what i mean so yeah, i like yeah. I, I know a little bit of that of that <laughs> world again briefly and not not in the kind of long form that you're talking about of getting to know people like it was only a brief flash in my life just as this conversation is a brief flash in our days (laughs) um but yeah and also I mean I I've got very good family friends in in Cornwall who are like country people as well so I've got a lot of time for for country people if you like for for whatever that phrase means I mean as you say there's a lot of stories in the country there's a lot of people in the country and they're they're all very different yeah Uh, there's not there's not a one type of country people True. I mean there are there, there, you know cliches do sometimes there is some truth behind cliches sometimes oh yeah um, so there is there are traits in some <laughs> some people in the country um, yeah but those are very love. I, I mean I, I think there's a lot to love about the way that country people can be yeah I mean and you, uh, you've said previously on on the, on the podcast you said that uh, you know one of the most beautiful things about Britain is it's <laughs> It's countryside. Yeah, well, yeah. I uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't agree with you more. About the only thing I love about the country is its <laughs> countryside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's not an idyll, which is no. something I also very very strident about. Is, is telling people it is not 
uh, this picture postcard right. uh, place you imagine it to right. be. Um, there's poverty in the countryside. There's struggle in the co- countryside. Awful lot there's of hard vi- work. Yeah, exactly. Physical, right? Yeah. Backbreaking hard work. Yeah. And uh, um, you know, I, I think many country people are um, have a closer relationship with death. I think one of the, the things that cities have done, and they've really just really erupted, as we know them now, in the last 100, 200 years. Yeah. I mean, quite a new thing, this mega city that we city, have now. Yeah. That they have removed people from uh, the realisation, perhaps even the cost and the consequences of, of how they live. They don't have to work for their food so much. Right. They don't have to... Uh, not, they have to work to buy the food, but they don't have to work to make the food right. that's coming from somewhere comes from somewhere else yeah. slowly becoming disassociated where does a pig come from right. comes from a can where right. does a, a tomato come well it's in my ready meal yeah. you know and uh, uh, potentially that's dangerous but also and, and an opportunity for nefarious forces to use that to uh, emasculate people of the power they have over their own diets. That could be a terrifying dystopian scenario. Yeah. Um, and uh, we all know about the salt, sugar and fat thing, but that's, you know, uh, that's one example of potential. I think you're right. I mean, I definitely think that there is an element... I, I mean, I like a lot of the elements of, of city or digital living which kind of separate us from, from the reality of the world, but... Uh, there is there is definitely a lot lost as well when uh, and uh, particularly I guess in terms of production like we don't like even taking it from one step further than that like it's not just the raw materials we don't know where they come from we also don't know how the actual things are then processed True. like we don't have any idea about l- all of that stuff we're sitting on chairs we don't know how they were made you know that, all of that stuff like that's definitely a a, rea- a reality I think it's I don't want to like. I never want to go completely the other way and say there's nothing that's there's nothing that's valuable about you know the internet or uh, you know other you know and also I think communities small community groups whilst they might be often more in touch with the land and more in touch with death and all of these kind of good concepts that you talk about can be all, more bigoted and yeah, less more minded isolate, yeah. iso- they're, they're isolated places to be if you don't fit into that community I think mm-hmm. whereas the thing that cities offer people is an opportunity to find people who they fit with because yeah, there's so true. many people and also to be isolated in a way that that, that, that is private they can just be in their bubble and they don't have to uh, worry about the judgment of other people. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's, both of those things have really valuable things inside them. And I True. think if we're going to go forwards in the world as, as humans, we probably need to have a bit of both of those things yes. uh, in, our, in, in mind as we're building our societies. True. True. So, yeah. that, I mean, yeah. But, but yeah, like, I mean, I don't think that... I think that it's true that... that that countryside people can be bigoted but it's also true that city people can, can be also be bigoted, bigoted yes. and I think it's too easy to say it's the country folk yeah. when there's so most of the worst bigotry I've seen has been in cities true. Um, so yeah I think that that's a cliche that does have some truth behind it but it's also 
probably one of the ones to push back against if you're yeah, interested think, yeah, in people seeing the countryside yeah. as, yeah. as what it is. I no, I mean, yeah, I mean, f- far be it from me to, you know, who's so interested in telling me about the countryside to call <laughs> country people bigoted. I mean, the, the, yeah, yeah. There yeah were, you were, were acknowledging a reality when you said that. You weren't, that wasn't your word that you chose to no, throw exactly. at the countryside. Yeah, fair point. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that some, some of the, as, as you were sort of saying, I think some of the living conditions there can make it more likely and harder for there to be a diversity of views and lifestyles yeah, and yeah. things. I, I think that that can put pressure on people, which um, it just, it's just wasted energy, isn't it, you know, to, to waste energy on trying to put people down. But although I guess the internet probably changes some of that too. I, I guess the isolated nature of rural communities, once the, if, they, if, if there's someone who is rich enough and, and privileged enough and lucky enough to have internet connection, then they suddenly have access to the, the world. True. And I'm sure that's changing communities in the country in interesting ways. Yeah. I don't live in the country, so I don't get to, to, to watch that, that change, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure that is a, a big totally part. Totally fascinating changes yeah. from that fascinating i think that could i mean essentially could it could we get to the point uh where uh, being in one place or the, other, or the other isn't really important you know food networks are uh, evolving to the fact that perhaps you could get a food delivery to yourself in a small village and have the internet and pretty much you could be in a flat in the center of a city or a cottage in the countryside and the living experience is actually very similar yeah i mean that is a potential astonishing consequence of that because that's there's never been anything like that before that's you know yeah i mean drones are going to make that interesting too i mean at the moment we <laughs> yeah. only use drones really to spy on people or to or to uh, kill them but i mean in the in the future that may that may change in loads of ways yeah. i mean yeah. dr- drone del- del- delivery services would, yeah. would, would would really change a lot right yeah um Although, you know, like with all of these things, I can see lots of... Uh, Potential Yeah, downsides. it's like if it, you can always see the utopia and the dystopia mm-hmm. both stretching out in front of your eyes when you sort yeah. of think about, about these kind of elements of technology. Um, yeah, well... We've got to wrap things up. We are, we are, we are well, we're coming, we're coming, we're drawing towards the close. Um, but it's, it's, it's felt like we've hardly, we've hardly even started. That's exactly what I'm feeling. Yeah, I, I, I do hope that I uh, haven't rambled on about abstract subjects well, that haven't anything to do with me. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you and I think the abstract uh, subjects reveal as much about people as, right. as, their, as their lived experiences. I mean, I think that we are all of these things and I think people get a kind of more complete view of someone if they give a little bit of their opinions, a little bit of their yeah. history. I mean, is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked you about your life that we haven't covered uh, at this stage? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> no, I, th- I think for the moment, I mean, we, we might have to revisit... Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I would you do love feel to do you another have, one with you in the future when yeah. you're in a sort of different situation in your life. Yeah, yeah. I hope you have. You feel you have got a bit better acquaintance. I do. I definitely do. Um, I mean, I didn't know what you were <laughs> going to be like at all. So uh, it's been really good uh, to, to to work out who you are, <laughs> or my view of who you are in this moment. What right? is your view? Well, I, I, li- I like you. You're oh, good. Pe- you're, good. A, you're a pleasant person to talk to. It's always um, nice to be liked. I think I agree with you on some things, not on other things. But yeah. I genuinely think you're coming from a, a nice perspective and uh, on these things. Yes. Um, Thank you. So, I mean, the, the last thing that I ask my guests, the last question that I ask my guests is, uh, do you have anything to plug? Um, we've definitely mentioned your, your podcast, but how can people find that podcast? Um, yes, the Muck Heap podcast is on um, 
Oh, you know, people, if you're listening to this, it's all on all of the usual podcast places, right. iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all of that. And all of that, yeah. yeah. And uh, so just, just hunt it out and you'll find it. Um, and have I got anything else to plug? <laughs> Not particularly that I can think of. I'm probably missing a golden opportunity here, but um, no, no, I just, just wanted to say <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I, well, yeah. It's, it's just, thank you. It was really nice. No, I mean, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And like I say, it, was, it has been uh, unusually close uh, proximity to somebody that I've been talking to, but I haven't felt uncomfortable with that. And that's uh, a sure. good sign, good. surely, to... to <laughs> yes, know, I think so. I think that's good. <laughs> Um, and yeah thank you very much for doing the show I mean uh, like and like I say in the future if you are back in the country and you have a different different circumstances I'm sure we can talk about other things and they'll be really yeah. interesting to hear about too yeah um, I mean you can't get a whole part of someone in an, in an hour in fact you know most of the time I, I go away from doing a great conversation with someone find out a, a few other things about their life and I'm like oh I missed the biggest I opportunity <laughs> in my you know I could have talk to them about that for, yeah. but I didn't um, but that's I mean a lot of the time when I don't know people very well I feel like I'm fishing sometimes I feel like um, yeah. I'm sort of like trying to draw things out of people but I don't know which direction to go um, yeah. appropriately for the end of the show we seem to be getting some kind of music <laughs> happening in the background um, but, but, but this conversation hasn't been like that it's felt very easy and uh, it's flown really well yeah, so I've enjoyed that yeah so, um, yeah so thanks very much the last thing Thank I you. ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience oh uh, dear audience, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. Uh, have a wonderful time, and uh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. So as I said at the beginning of the show, tonight or tomorrow... If you're listening to this on the day that it came out, we're at the Dog Star in Brixton... 7.30, the doors open. First show at 8 o'clock, second show at 9.15. We've got four really amazing shows. We've got comedy shows, but also storytelling shows, spoken word shows. I mean, all four of the shows defy genre. They will touch on sad and difficult subjects, but they will also be filled with laughter and lightness and excitement and all of the other things that combine together to make stand-up tragedy shows really, really enjoyable. So find out more about stand-up tragedy at www.standuptragedy.co.uk you can find Stand Up Tragedy on Facebook or you can follow us on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy we're not doing any of our variety shows this year we're just showcasing some of our favourite performers doing some outstanding performances I'm very excited that I'm able to fully officially announce that the Family Tree podcast is on its way. It's a spin-off from Getting Better Acquainted and features me as its host, and it's coming out in September 2016. It's a mystery show, it's a fictional show, or is it? And it's really, really exciting. Find out more about it at thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk but also you can subscribe to it on iTunes already. There's two teasers. There's a Patreon account where you can sign up to support the family tree to help us to get the money to pay ourselves and our performers properly. So please do go over and sign up to that Patreon now if you want, or you can wait until the show starts coming out before you make that decision. And if you want to support what I do, but you don't want to support projects that aren't 
in existence quite yet you can help me to make getting better acquainted by donating to this show and if you want to follow me on twitter i'm goosefat101 to find out about my masculinity show that's the most recent stand-up tragedy podcast you can listen to the whole show in its entirety and you can also find out more about it at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook and on Twitter. It's at GBA Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.